Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. Well, hello and welcome to worship. It's good to be with you. For those of you that I haven't met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first time to tune in with us, uh, welcome. We're especially glad that you've joined us. Today, we're going to talk about people that we can't stand and what God thinks about them and what God wants us to do uh, about them. So I think this will be relevant to all of us. Um, Today, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 7. And uh, we're looking at verses 9 through 17, and it says this. After this I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. And they were from every nation and tribe and people and language. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, Who are these people wearing white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he said to me, These people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood. This is the reason they are before God's throne. And they worship Him day and night in His temple. And the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will beat down on them because the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm sure that you uh, are generally a a nice person. Uh, I'm sure that you care about people and you wish the best for people. And you probably say please and thank you. You probably hold the door open for people behind you because you're a nice person. Uh, And I'm a nice person too, so we we have that in common. Uh, However, I bet that there is a certain type of person that can make you turn not nice real fast. I bet there's a certain type of person that really gets under your skin. And I'm not just talking about like they annoy you a little bit. I'm talking about that when you see them, when you hear them, when you read something they post on social media, suddenly your heart starts to beat faster and your face gets a little flushed and your blood begins to boil. Because the way that they think or the way that they act, or the way that they vote, or the way that they treat other people is just plain wrong, and it drives you crazy. Uh, So I wonder who are those people for you? All of us have some some those people. Some of us have a lot of those people. If you're not sure who those people are for you, uh, just read your own Facebook posts, and I bet you'll figure it out pretty quickly there. Um, I happen to be friends with a number of you on Facebook, so I feel like I have a, a pretty good sense of who those people are, at least uh, for, for some of you. Uh, for some of you, those people are the anti-vaxxers. You know, they just really make your blood boil. 
for some of you, it's Vladimir Putin. For a whole lot of you, it's uh, members or at least leaders of the other political party. And we won't name names, but you know which party that I'm talking about. Uh, this one should hit close to home. Uh, for some of you, those people are folks who have a very different view than you do on the issue of abortion. Uh, for some of you, those people are your boss uh, at, at work who just treats people unfairly all the time, especially you, and there's just never any repercussions for that. Uh, for some of you, it's that coworker who never pulls their weight and they always drop the ball and it makes your job harder and nobody ever seems to do anything about it. Uh, for some of you, it's just Duke fans, you know, they make your blood boil, or it's UNC fans because they're just so uh, obnoxious. For some of you, it's people that don't use their blinkers, or people who try to take like 50 items through the self-checkout and they make everybody wait behind them, or for you, maybe it's people who drive below the speed limit in the fast lane. It's infuriating. Uh, so some of these obviously are more serious than, than others, but all of us, all of us have some of those people that we can't stand because they're, they're just plain wrong and the things they do uh, are, are harmful. And so even though we're generally a nice person, they can make us not nice real fast. And we feel kind of justified in being not nice towards those people, uh, but because they're, they're just plain wrong. So, so who are those people for you, I wonder? I'll tell you who those people are for me, one of, one of my, those people, just, just between you and me. Uh, it's uh, arrogant, self-righteous Christians, and especially uh, arrogant, self-righteous Christians who use the Bible to justify their arrogance and their self-righteousness. They are just plain wrong, and it makes my blood Boyle, uh, I, I recently had a run-in with, with one of my those uh, people. I was checking our church uh, Instagram account, actually. I was checking the, the messages, and I've told this to some of you before. This really doesn't happen a ton, but occasionally some person from the internet will message us on Instagram to tell us that our church is unfaithful and unbiblical because of our affirming stance towards LGBT+. Plus folks. Uh, I'm not going to get into that issue in this sermon. If you're interested in our stance and, and why we believe that we are faithful and, and biblical, uh, I preached about that back in January. So you can look up that sermon uh, on the, the podcast or one of the old worship videos if you're interested in that. Um, but I want to be clear, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to have a respectful conversation with people who see this issue differently from me. That, that's, that's not a problem at all. Uh, there are many, many people that I love and respect who, who disagree with me on this. You may be somebody who disagrees with uh, our church's stance uh, on this, and that is just fine. And I'm always happy to have a, a respectful conversation uh, about it. But what really does bother me is when people get arrogant about it and when people get self-righteous about it. And as you can imagine, uh, the kind of people on the internet who take it upon themselves to, to message us and tell us that we're unfaithful and, and unbiblical, uh, they often, not always, but they often tend to, to be pretty arrogant and pretty self-righteous. So uh, I was checking our messages the other day, and sure enough, we got one from uh, one of those people. And this guy was giving me the, the usual stuff, you know, citing scriptures and telling us how we don't know the Bible and we don't care about the Bible and, uh, and all of this. And he ends his message with this, this snarky question. Uh, he says, so do you just cherry pick scripture? Do you just cherry pick scripture? Now, I know that I shouldn't take this Personally, I know I shouldn't care 
right? But, but these people really get under my skin. So I wrote back and I just shredded this guy. No, I'm just kidding. I, I totally promise I would not shred, uh, I, would not, I would not shred anybody on our church Instagram uh, accounts. I have learned that I struggle to, to respond to those people in uh, holy ways. And so unless they seem like they're genuinely interested in our perspective and they want to have a respectful conversation about it, uh, I, I do not feed the, the trolls. I've learned the, the hard way. But I confess to you that in that moment, I wanted to shred this guy so badly. And I may or may not have, but definitely did turn to my wife and tell her all the things that I wanted to say to this guy. Now, I'm not proud of this, okay? I'm not lifting myself up as an example to follow. If you're judging me for this, uh, judge away, that's fine. But just remember, you have a those people too. We all have a those people that makes us feel this way because they're, they're just plain wrong. Well, uh, it just so happened that not long after I was reading that message, uh, I sat down to begin work on this week's sermon, and uh, I flipped open this passage that I just read to you from Revelation 7. And in the past, this passage has always been one of my favorites in the Bible, and as we get into it in just a minute here, uh, I think you're going to love it as well. But I have to say that reading this passage right after this encounter with one of my those people, uh, the passage landed very differently for me this time. And I saw something in this passage that I hadn't noticed before. So I want to talk about the passage with you for a few minutes and, and show you why it landed differently uh, with me, because I think it's got an insight here that is uh, applicable to all of us. So a little background about this passage. If you've, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know we're in a sermon series right now called Plot Twist. Uh, we're looking at several passages from the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. Uh, Revelation was originally written by a guy named John, this early church leader, and he wrote it to this group of Christians in the first century who lived in what is today Turkey, and they were going through a really hard time. They were facing all kinds of severe persecution, unlike most of what any of us have ever seen. Uh, all around them, they felt like evil was winning. And I know many of us have had an experience where, where we've looked around and we felt like evil is just, is just winning. It's discouraging. So John writes this letter to encourage this, this group of Christians. And a lot of what he does in this letter that we now call Revelation is he shares some visions that he had received from Jesus. And these are visions uh, in some cases of the future, and in some cases, which is the passage that we're going to see today, uh, John shares visions of what is going on in heaven. What is going on in heaven. Uh, and the theme that runs throughout Revelation is that uh, even when it seems like evil is winning, we know as Christians that there's a plot twist that's coming because we know how the story ends. We know that in the end, evil doesn't win, love wins. Uh, so, in this passage in chapter 7, as I said, we're getting a vision of heaven. So let's take a look at this and see what John is telling us about heaven here, and I'll show you how this relates to those people. Uh, uh, so, in chapter 7, John gets this vision of heaven he's telling us about, and he says this. He says, After this, I looked, meaning looked around heaven, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. In other words, John is telling us apparently uh, he's looking around heaven and heaven is just packed. I think that's a, an interesting thing for John to say because, you know, there's so many Christians who seem to think that heaven is like this exclusive club. They, they, they seem to think that heaven is going to be a, a relatively small group uh, of people. But John here says, nope, uh, I saw it 
It is packed. There's more people there than anyone could ever even count. Interesting. Uh, John goes on and he says, they, talking about this, this uncountable crowd in, in heaven, uh, they, he says, were from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. So not only, he says, is heaven packed, but heaven is also incredibly, incredibly diverse. I mean, John is describing here this, this like mind-boggling level of diversity. Um, I wonder what is the most diverse place that you've ever been? What's the most diverse environment that you've ever uh, been a part of? Uh, right after seminary, my wife and I moved to Houston, Texas, and we ended up renting a house in this neighborhood called Sharpstown. And Sharpstown is one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the whole country, actually. Uh, just in that one neighborhood, there are over 120 different languages that uh, are spoken, all in, all in one neighborhood. It's definitely the most diverse place I've ever been. I've never seen anything like it. It was, it was really amazing. Well, in this passage, John is saying uh, Sharpstown diversity has nothing on heaven diversity because in heaven, it's not just 120 different languages. In heaven, John says, it's every language. And do you know how many languages is every language? I looked it up this week. Uh, turns out there are over 7,000 known languages around the world. And John's telling us here that every one of those is going to be represented in heaven. And even within language groups, there's just like every type of person that you can even imagine. So what is this mind-bogglingly diverse crowd in, in heaven, what are they doing there? Well, John tells us, he says, they're gathered together around the Lamb, that is Jesus, and they're singing together, and they're celebrating together, and they're worshiping together. So I think you can see why in the past, I've always read this passage and, and thought, wow, this is just beautiful. Right? I mean, this is so inspiring. It's like the ultimate kumbaya moment, and you're going to get to be a part of it, and I'm going to get to be a part of it. It's, it's beautiful. This has always been one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But I must confess that this time, as I was coming off this run-in with, with one of my those people, and I flipped open this, this passage, it, it read very differently to me. I was still, if I'm honest, a little worked up about this arrogant, self-righteous Christian who who had messaged uh, our, our church account, and, and uh, suddenly it hit me. Suddenly it hit me that if heaven really is as packed as John says it is, and if heaven really is as diverse as John says it is, then it is quite possible that when I take my place in heaven, this self-righteous, arrogant Christian person could, could quite possibly be right next to me or, or someone very much like them. In other words, in other words, it, it hit me as I was reading this passage, it hit me for the first time that part of what John's telling us here is that even those people, whoever those people are for you, even those people will be with us in heaven. And, and we think like, oh, no way. I mean, how could that be? That th those people are so wrong. Those people are so harmful. How could they be with us in, in heaven? Well, I think part of what John is, is trying to tell us here is apparently God actually loves those people just as much as God loves you and me. Wow. Apparently Jesus died just as much for those people 
as Jesus died for you and, and for me, apparently God's unconditional love for those people is just as unconditional as God's love for you and for me. And, and we think, God, that is infuriating. And John says, well, it may be infuriating, but it's also true. It's also true. Uh, I was processing that uh, this week, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, this is so typical of Jesus. So typical. I mean, if you or I were in charge of heaven, we would not let those people in, right? Because we don't want to be with those people. We especially don't want to be with those people for eternity. But Jesus, this thing about Jesus, he characteristically throughout his ministry over and over, we, we see that Jesus loves to take people who don't want to be together and force them to be together. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. I mean, uh, when Jesus is calling the disciples at the beginning of his ministry, you know, he's assembling this group who's going to be his inner circle called the apostles. And uh, at first he calls these, these fishermen. He calls Peter and Andrew and James and John. They're like these upstanding citizens, you know, good, good people. But then after that, for some reason, Jesus decides to call Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were those people for just about everybody. I mean, tax collectors were sleazy. They were dishonest. They stole from people. They ripped people off. You know, so, so I'm sure uh, Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, they're, they're like, we don't want to be with, with him. Not at all, but, but for some reason, Jesus decides to make Matthew part of their crew, and he makes them be together for three years as they follow Jesus around. And then after Jesus' resurrection, he, he sends them out to, to tr lead the, this new thing called church together. Jesus just loves to take people who don't want to be together and force them to be together. I think about the Pharisees. You know, some of you know this, that the Pharisees were a, a group, a religious group in uh, Jesus' day, and uh, they were constantly going at it with Jesus. You know, Jesus would criticize them, and, and they would criticize Jesus. And there were some times when Jesus would go off by himself to pray or, or to do other things. He would leave the disciples behind, and then the, the Pharisees would sometimes pounce on the disciples, and they would uh, pepper them with questions, and they would try to make the, the disciples look stupid in front of the crowds so the disciples couldn't stand the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those people. And yet as we read the story of Jesus's ministry, at these random times, with, with no explanation, Jesus decides to attend parties at the homes of Pharisees, parties that are filled with other Pharisees. And not only that, but Jesus oftentimes drags the disciples with him to these parties. And Jesus makes the disciples socialize with the Pharisees and, and eat with them and, and probably compliment them on their home and, and things like that. It drove people crazy, but Jesus was constantly taking people who didn't want to be together and forcing them to be together. And so as challenging as it is for us to think about, as infuriating as it might be, we probably shouldn't be surprised that when it comes to heaven, Jesus is letting those people in too. And even in eternity, Jesus is forcing us to be together. Now, we might think, wow, there must be a ton of division going on in heaven then if you've got all these people who, who don't want to be together. Uh, but, but here's the thing about John's vision. As, as John describes it, uh, it sure seems like these people actually do want to be together in heaven. 
you know, as they uh, lift their voices as one, as they praise God in this, this spirit of unity, it, it actually seems like they do want to be together. And that tells us something really important that I don't want us to miss today. Part of what John's telling us here is that there's actually no division in heaven. There's no division in heaven. Now, there's a lot of diversity, as we've already seen, extraordinary diversity. There's a lot of difference. I mean, people are speaking different languages. Apparently, people look different. Uh, People are obviously bringing different experiences. So I imagine there's at least some level of disagreement in heaven. I mean, how could you have all these different kinds of people without disagreement? I mean, it seems kind of inevitable to me. But even though there's diversity and difference and, and possibly disagreement, what is not there in heaven is division. Division. And by division, I mean hostility and ill will and resentment. All of that is gone. And what that tells us is that the divisions that we experience in this world, the divisions that we create in this world, the divisions that honestly we sometimes enjoy upholding in this world, all those divisions are actually part of the evil that God is ultimately going to get rid of. All of those divisions that we have in this world are part of the sickness that God is ultimately going to heal. Because in heaven, in heaven, there is no division. In heaven, everybody is united in their love of God, and despite all their differences, everybody is united in their love of each other. Well, I think we can all agree, uh, all of this is a pretty tough pill to swallow. It's a tough pill for us to swallow today. It was a tough pill to swallow just as much in the first century as well. But part of what it means to follow Jesus is that we're called Uh, in the here and now to live in light of the end of our story. Uh, In other words, we're we're called to live in the here and now in a way that embodies God's kingdom on earth here as it is in heaven. And and John is just telling us how it is in heaven. Uh, And so that means that as, as Christians, we, we can't just wait until we get to heaven to, to start loving those people. We, we can't just put this off, but we actually have to start trying to love those people here and now. Now, we're not called to always agree with those people. We're not called to always approve of what those people are doing. We're, we're not called to ignore it when those people are doing something that's harmful. But we are called to, to resist division from those people. We are called to resist this us versus them dynamic that we have with those people. Uh, We are called to to want the best for those people, and we are called to love those people. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I would say this is probably the single hardest thing about being a Christian. And as I look around at Christians right now, uh, I would say, and I think it's safe to say, we are pretty horrible at this whole loving your enemies thing. We, we don't do well with this. And yet, as I look around at this world, one of the things that I think this world needs more than anything right now is for a group of people to have the courage and to have the guts and to have the boldness to step up and actually love their enemies. The world is desperate right now for some people who are committed to loving their enemies because the forces of division are just out of control right now. I mean, we see it in 
politics. We see it between nations. We see it in religion. We see the forces of division just having their way everywhere, everywhere. So the world is desperate for some people who will step up to the plate and love their enemies. And God calls us to be the ones to do it. But the reason that more of us don't do it is because it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. And so I think if we are going to step up, it's going to take some practice and we're probably going to need to start with some baby steps. So what I want to do here is to give you just one teeny tiny little baby step that uh, all of us can, can practice to, to start moving us in the right direction as far as loving uh, our enemies. So here's my suggestion. Uh, the next time that you have an encounter with one of those people, and uh, it may not take long, you know, if you check your Facebook after this message, um, they're always there uh, on Facebook. So uh, it may not be long, but next time you encounter one of those people and your heart starts to beat fast and your face gets flushed and your blood begins to boil, to pause and take a deep breath and then ask God to bless that person. Ask God to bless that person. Now, uh, I don't mean like bless their heart in a uh, passive aggressive, you know, southern kind of kind of way. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, ask God to give that person something that they need. And you may be thinking, well, what they need is a good whooping or something like that. But that's not what I'm talking about. Not not re not revenge. Uh, but but ask ask God to give that person uh, something good that they need in their life, and try 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 to actually mean it. I tried this myself this week. Um, I felt convicted about this as I was working on this sermon, so I did. I took a moment, and uh, I, I asked God to bless this arrogant, self-righteous Christian who had, who had messaged us. And uh, it was hard, and I tried to mean it, and that was, that was hard. But as I did that, I was reminded that God loves that dude just as much as God loves me. And I was reminded that God has a place in heaven for that dude just as much as God has a place in heaven uh, for me. And it may in fact turn out that that dude's place in heaven is, is right next to my place in heaven. And so I thought, well, I might as well, I might as well start trying to love that dude in the here and now. None of this is easy right? And, uh, and it doesn't feel good. And I think that's another reason that uh, more people don't love their enemies is because it, it doesn't feel good. But when we resist division like this, uh, when we bless those people instead of cursing those people, then not only are we following the example that Jesus models, not only are we doing what Jesus calls us to do, but we're actually anticipating this great plot twist that we know is coming. We're anticipating that day when evil is no more and when all these divisions are gone. We're getting ourselves ready for how the story ends. Let me pray for us. Whew, God, this is hard. This is uh, just a, a tough thing for us to accept, Lord. We, uh, we are so grateful for your unconditional love for us, God. Uh, but as we think about the in implications of uh, your unconditional love in relation to, to people that we don't like, it's, it's really hard, God. Uh, so we ask for your, your grace and we ask for strength uh, to, to love others the way that you have loved us, God, in those times when we encounter those people and we're so tempted to, to lean into division, God, help us to lean away from division. Uh, help us to, to not see an us and a them, but, but to only see an us, God, because we know that in the end there is only us. Uh, so, God, uh, make us faithful 
in that way. Uh, and we pray all of this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for tuning in. A couple quick things here uh, for you before we go. If you are new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you, but I need your contact information in order to do that. So if you click uh, the link called Connect in the description and leave me your information, I'll reach out to you this week. I'd love to say hey and, uh, and get to know you. Uh, also, if you're local, we would love to see you in in-person worship. You can get on our website. It's kindrednc.church and get all the information you need about in-person worship. But I uh, look forward to seeing you face-to-face. And then finally, be sure to check the description for this week's newsletter, which has our latest updates and uh, all, all these different ways that you can get involved with our Kindred community. Thanks again for tuning in, uh, friends. Uh, I hope that you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. Listeners, this free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website, as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.